0: journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Edel Kazilski Mondays at 1pm for the trip of a lifetime. Can you actually believe it's Monday again? The days and the weeks and the months are absolutely flying by. Shavuotov. This is Edel Kazilski. This is 101.9 FM. This is Mystical Texts. And um, I'm in your company now for the next three quarters of an hour, where we will just take a little bit of a break from our hectic lifestyle and learn a little bit of Torah. Today we are going to be discussing something quite fascinating. I must be honest, while I was learning this, um, I was thinking I actually have not ever had the privilege of witnessing what we're going to be discussing um, if you have, would love to know, 34519 is our SMS line, 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. Um, and I'm going to keep you in suspense what it is that we're learning so that you can actually be part of the conversation. So, without further ado, we might as well get going. If you are at home and you're able to open up a Bible, we are in Chapter 12, Pericute Bet, and we are on Pasuk Nun Aleph. It's been a very, very, very long parak, a very, very long uh, chapter. We're on verse 51. Um, last week, we finished up the, the laws of the carbon Pesach. And a reminder to everybody out there that if you do want to catch up or you've missed out on anything, then you don't have to be shy. You don't have to wonder. You don't even have to WhatsApp me or the studio, all you have to do is go to CHI-FM, um, look at um, chi on um, on the internet, um, look for podcasts, and then you will be able to navigate to historical podcasts. And there we are in our full glory. You're able to catch up, or if you want to share something with somebody else, you can do that too. Right, we're still sitting on the cusp of coming out of Egypt and um we're going to discuss as I said some very very interesting things by and it was on that very day but see hashem merit Hashem took out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt um, in organized groups so I guess you could call it that it was organized chaos I can just Imagine poor old Moses trying to navigate 3 million men, we said, and the and all the women and whatever. There was about 12 million strong added like a whole bunch of Egyptians that were joining. It was quite a balagan. I don't know if you've ever tried to um, go to the airport or do something in a, in a busy time, and you can see the absolute chaos that's happening there. Certainly, um, when it came to taking out from Egypt. I'm sure it says here organized groups, but it probably was also organized chaos. But that is tongue in cheek. Um, let's discuss some facts, facts that the Midrash brings out. Number one, what day of the week did the Jews leave Egypt? Well, there is a difference of opinion to which day the Israelites left Egypt. Some say that they left on Thursday. Others maintain that the exodus actually occurred on a Friday. Then we have the whole argument, well, was it at night or was it during the day? Because if you go back to verse 42, which I am doing right now so that I can I can read it to you, so those of you that have the text in front of you, you can actually see. It says, <laughs> That it was a night of vigil to God to bring <clears throat> them out of Egypt. And so it would, it would kind of indicate that the night had been designated for the Exodus. But now when we look at our verse 51, it says be hayom, that it was during the day that the Jews actually did not leave At night. They left during the day. So to reconcile it, we understand it as follows. Pharaoh had given them permission to leave anytime they wanted. He did that from midnight onwards, when the chaos ensued um, in Egypt. All the chaos of the of the firstborn dying, and um, by the time they all got their act out together, they actually left. They left um, during during the day. There are also other teachings that that take this. I won't say inconsistency, but disparity between was it during the night or was it during the day, and it's alluded um, and referenced back to the covenant that God made with Abraham at the Brit Ben-Haptarim, the pact between the halves. Because there it says, on that very day, all of Hashem's hosts, uses the word Saba'ot, left Egypt. Now, um, It said over here, the word hosts refers to angels. And the Torah did not say that God took them out, but that they left. Now, obviously, angels were not enslaved. So as soon as they saw the Israelites leaving, they also left. So what we can understand from this verse is that the verse is actually talking about the fact that Jews left and the angels left. So let's look back at the verse. Um, this is the current verse, by the way, that I'm talking about. As organized groups, read it that God took the Israelites out of Egypt along with their guardian angels. Now, we have one more question that would would lend itself to this entire discussion, and that is that we learned last week in particular, but but in previous weeks as well, that one, one of the precursors to the Korban Pesach, to the Paschal Lamb sacrifice, was that they had to be circumcised. Now, anybody knows, and we have precedent also in the Torah, that the first three days after a circumcision, one is quite ill, it is dangerous for them to travel. We've got precedent in the Torah in that, Abraham, when he circumcised himself, was sitting at Petach He was sitting at the opening of his tent, hoping that the sun would heal his brit miller. That's when the angels came. One came to actually give him healing, because it was so. That was the third day after the circumcision. We also have precedent that Moses, if you can recall, on his way down to Egypt, he didn't circumcise his son because he didn't immediately circumcise his son because he understood and thought that it's very dangerous and very painful to do it while traveling. So now we have three million men, a lot of them, a lot of them, a lot of them were not um, circumcised. How do they actually move? Like you circumcise yourself in a late afternoon, evening, give the corporate pace up, pack up and move out? Surely there must have been a lot of pain there. Well, you're going to have to hang on and listen out at 101.9 High FM. We're going to go for a bit of an ad break, and then we are going to discuss how we reconcile the song. High FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Adel Kozlowski. This is 101.9 High FM, and now let's work out the mystery: why, or how, rather, it's not why, how could the men have moved? when they gave themselves a brit miller literally hours before they were expected to walk out of Egypt, particularly that we base ourselves on Abraham who couldn't move on the third day and Moshe who didn't want to circumcise his son because of travel. And for any mother who's (laughs) given a breast to the son at eight days when it's the easiest to heal knows that the kid's miserable for a good 24 to 36 hours. So, how do we answer that? The Midrash tells us that when God passed through Egypt to kill the firstborn, he also healed the raw circumcision wounds of the Israelites and he restored their health and he restored their strength completely. And how do we understand that? Well, it's not that, you know, some rabbi decided to say that, but in fact, with everything in Judaism, we have to have a proof. So if you go look back again in chapter twelve, verse twenty three, it says, God passed through to kill Egypt with a plague. He saw then the blood on the little and on the two doorposts. El Hapeta, God passed him, passed over that door. Upasach Apetach, he passed over the door. And he didn't allow them, didn't allow the, the the negative angels to destroy. So the rabbis go and take that God passed over the door, over the opening. Okay, um it should have rather said that God will pass over you. And God will pass over you. He won't do anything to you. But it says not that God will pass over the Jews, it says God will pass over the opening. Okay, and that Alludes that God will pass over the petach, the opening, meaning the open wound of the new, of the new circumcision, and He would heal. He healed every single Jew, as if many many days had passed. There is a much more complicated discussion, and that is is that when it comes to circumcising um, a child, there is the the severing of the foreskin, and then there's what's called priya. Priya is the splitting and the peeling back of the membrane. Um, And so there is an argument that perhaps they didn't go and peel themselves completely back, and they had to wait until they landed up in the land of Israel to do it properly, meaning that on Pesach, the Jews were not yet spiritually whole. They had circumcised. They had severed the foreskin, but they hadn't performed the peria, Okay. Um, and then that is all connected very interestingly to the fact that we don't say the entire halal for eight days. On the first two nights, we say a fun halal because that's when they did submit to circumcision and they did do the corporal pesach, they did the pesach sacrifice. But on the rest of the days, we only say a half. Uh, halal, uh, which is the first 11 verses of Psalm 115 and um, we said the first 11 verses of Psalm 115 are omitted and that is because they were not spiritually whole. As opposed, for example, when um, you look at the, the, the festival of Sukkot, where Sukkot we say the full Halal every single day. So that was just an interesting tidbit and now we are coming to the most important discussion we are going to have today, and that is based on the following verse. We are now in chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. By Hashem HaMoshe Lemar, God speaks to Moshe, saying, Kadesh li kol b'chor peter kol rechem b'nei Yisrael ba'adam Ubehema li hu. We get the mitzvah of the redemption of the firstborn. It reads as follows, sanctify to me every firstborn, the initiation of every womb, both amongst man and beast for they are mine. So here we've got the biblical precedent that the first of everything belongs to Hashem. We also do tithing. Um, And when it comes to animals and to humans, we are to take the firstborn and I'm going to explain to me, what does firstborn explain to me, explain to you, while well, I explain to myself as well, I guess, Um, going to explain how, in fact, um, this is done today. It is in a um, ceremony called a pidjon ha basically. This is also, by the way, a mitzvah that is connected with us being reminded of uh, Yitzhiat, the going out of Egypt, because when a man has a firstborn son, he has to redeem it. And the reason for that is because Hashem killed the firstborn of the Egyptians and he spared the Israelite firstborns. So this Pijonah Ben is very much a commemoration as much as Pesach. Now, let's go through our whole host of halachot, a whole host of laws pertaining to it. But before I start sharing those, allow me to say that I've never witnessed the Pijona Ben. You'll understand why. It's not necessarily a common occurrence. Um, and I don't know every single halacha. And if you feel that um, this was pertinent to you, please contact an Orthodox rabbi to guide you further. I'm going to give you the framework. I am not giving halachic advice here. Right. So the first thing we need to know is that the Torah designates a firstborn as a peter rechem, which we're translating as the opening or the initiation of the womb, which means that, number one, firstly, one can only do a pidyon haben on a son, not a daughter. That's number one. Number two, the boy has to be the firstborn of the mother. If if in the olden days, in the biblical times, a man would have more than one wife and he had a firstborn son with every single woman, then a pigeon up would have to be done every single time. It's connected to the woman, not the man, that it has to be the opening or the initiation of the womb of um, his father. If the boy is a firstborn to his father but not to his mother, then he does not have to be redeemed. Next, if a man remarries, even several times, and he has a firstborn son, every single time, that would be more pertinent than him having many wives today, but if he marries, divorces, marries, divorces, and every time he gets married he has a firstborn son from each wife, then he must be redeemed. Conversely, if a woman remarries and and has already had children, The firstborn son of a new husband need not be redeemed. Okay, remember we said earlier that when God killed the firstborn of Egypt, he killed the firstborn of both the father and the mother. But when God gives this commandment to redeem the firstborn sons, he only designates the firstborn of the mother. Why? Because when a woman has a firstborn son, the fact is clearly evident. In the case of a man's firstborn, On the other hand, (laughs) it's not as obvious. You know, today we can do paternity testing, but um, the way the Torah is based, both the lineage and both the religion of the child is based on the mother, because you guarantee that for nine months you can see that the woman's carrying the baby. So it is involved um, with the mother. Now, whose obligation is it to perform the rite of the pidjana ben, it's the man's. So since a woman doesn't have an obligation to redeem herself, even if she is a firstborn, therefore she doesn't have the obligation to redeem her firstborn son. That's why um, you you will see later, we will talk about it a little bit more. It says also with regard to, it's got to do with animals as well, but in verse 13 of chapter 13, it says, it has to do with your firstborn sons. Now, which men were um potter were exempt from redeeming their firstborn sons, the Kohanim and the Leviem. Because how do you redeem them? Basically, what it means is that if you had a firstborn son, that son belonged to the Kohen. And the the, the Pijon Ben, the redemption of the firstborn, is you going through a financial transaction and redeeming your son back from the Kohen. So by definition, Kohanim and Levim don't have to do this because their firstborn sons belong to them. The firstborn sons of general Israelites Jewish people belong to them too, and only we have to redeem it from the koin. And it doesn't really, really matter um, what the status of the father is. He has to redeem it. However, if the mother is the daughter of a koin or a lady, then the child is exempt from the obligation of redemption. So the status of the child always depends on the mother. Now, one of the most important things to understand here is that you can only do a pigeon haben if you gave birth naturally. That's number one. If it was by cesarean section, then you do not fulfill that obligation. That's why I told you it's not very common today because it's probably more common that women go for seasons than they go for normal births. That's number one. The second is, is that if a woman had unfortunately a miscarriage before she gives birth to her first son. Then she then then the child is, 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 it does not qualify for a pigeon a bed. So it literally quite honestly must be that the woman was a virgin, she fell pregnant, the boy is the, the, the first conceived child and he comes out naturally. If it has any other alteration to that, caesar, miscarriage, or otherwise, we do not perform a pidjon aben. And that's why it's pretty rare. It's not, you never ever see it, but it's not a very, very common um, occurrence. Right. So let's let's continue um, regarding the timing of the pidjon aben. When do we perform? A aben. So the child may not be redeemed until 30 days following his birth, which means he is redeemed when he's 30 days old, which means that the pigeon aben has to happen on the 31st day of his birth. And once that time arrives, then the commandment can't be delayed and one should move ahead with it. But as always, there are exceptions. If the 31st day, meaning the child is 30 days old, if the 31st day comes out on Shabbat, then it cannot be done on that day simply because you are handling money um, and it has to be delayed till Sunday. Um, the same thing is applicable if the 31st day is a Tov. Most rabbis, however, hold that khalomoyed and, for example, Kurem, one is permitted to perform this redemption. Okay? Um, we know that for example, we don't we can't get married during Holomoid. And the reason is, is that the joy at a wedding is so great that one is apt to forget the joy of the festival. Um, the ceremony of Pidyon Ben um is not as great. And even though we're very excited that the child was born, we were excited when he was born, we were excited when he gave his bris, This is just the ceremony, it won't cloud the whole of Holomoid, the whole of the Tov. Whereas a marriage can dilute the joy one should be feeling um during um during Yoltev. Right. So we can perform the Pidyon ben during holomoid and purim. And um If one chooses to redeem one's son before he's 30 days old, he doesn't fulfill his obligation, and it is counted as if the father has not redeemed his child. I'm telling it to you very simply, and let it be said that there are many, many mathematical calculations to work out the 31st day because when we speak of a Hadesh, it's a lunar month, okay? Um, and, and he needs to be exactly a full lunar cycle but a lunar cycle isn't 30 days it's 29 days and 12 hours and 44 minutes and 3 seconds that's what I'm saying to you if you suspect that you um, are obligated in the smitzvah, please consult an orthodox Allahic authority, I'm just giving you the outline of what Pidion haben should be so, so far we've established it is the obligation of the father. It is only when a child has been born naturally. It is only when a child, when, when the firstborn is a son. If you have three daughters and then a son, then you don't have to film um, the Bejonah Ben. It cannot be if you've had a miscarriage before, you cannot um, do it on your firstborn son, albeit that is your first live birth, because that was not the issue, initiation of the womb, so to speak. Um, it has to be when he is just over 30 days, meaning on the 31st day. There can be complications there. It has to be done immediately. Um, if not, we will discuss after the break what happens if you, if you haven't had it done and whose obligation it lands up in. And um, as well, we do not do it on Shabbat and on Yom Tovim, but we do, we can do it on Chol Hamoed. and, for example, So if you have any questions about this and we are going to actually discuss them all, because I haven't told you, how do we do it? I've told you who must be doing it. When must we be doing it? Now we're going to talk about how do we do it? And that we will do after the break. If you've got any questions, I will try to answer them. Um, But as always, as I said, with this one in particular, I'm not a halachic authority, I can try to assist. You can SMS on 34519. Or on our telegram number 061 895 1019. This is 101.9. Hi High FM. IFM High 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, let's discuss um how do we do how do how do we do this? So um there it it, it involves money. And as if you recall, just before um we were talking about um the fact that we can't do it on Shabbos and Yontos because of that. So where do we find out about the money? Not here. It's actually in the the uh, in, in, in the in book of Numbers, by Midbar in chapter 18, verse 16. It talks about the fact that a firstborn son has to be redeemed with five silver shekels. And then um, we get into the involvement of the fact that how much is five silver se- shekels? And I'm not going to really get in. It. It's 30 drums of pure silver and, and and four surveillance equals 34 drums and blah, 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 on and on and on and on. Today we are modern. Today you we have equivalent money equivalent, well, coins, special coins that generally the Kohanim keep, okay, um, and they will bring it along and you will give the rand equivalent to those five silver shekels. It's not a lot, a lot of money. Um, and we will use those. So I'm not going to go and get into the actual discussions about that. If one can't work out how much exactly five shekels is, you're obligated to give more so as not to have a question to your performance of it. Okay? Now, you have to give this money to a kohan. You have to know for certain that the person is a kohan for the redemption of the sun. If you don't have silver... If you don't have money, then you can give the Cayenne an article of clothing or merchandise that has the value of five silver shekels. You can't give real estate in in place for redemption, nor can you give a promissory note, okay? Um, if the father gives the Cayenne an article of silver or anything else that does not have the market value of five shekels, but some people would be willing to pay this price then the redemption is valid. But the best is to go and find how much is five shekels, okay? And you use that as the the actual money that you give. Now, when you give it to the kaye, you've got to give it as an outright gift. You can't give it on condition that he gives you back the money. So you buy the coins with absolutely no intention of returning You fulfill the ceremony and you give the kohen, the five coins, which basically you're doing an exchange between your firstborn son and the five shekels, and afterwards, afterwards, if and when, and it's really something that is understood, the kohen can give back the money. So if the father has any intention that the money is going to come back, the redemption is invalid. But if the Kayan wishes to return the money, he may do so, and the father may accept the money back. What is best is that you actually allow the koyen to give the money. You tell the koyen, if he doesn't want the money, to give it to somebody that, that 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 is poor. Okay. You're also obligated that if you do have the means, even if you're not wealthy, but if you have the means, you should make a nice feast in honor of your son's pigeon haben. Okay? Um, but it is good to go try to find a kohen who is poor so that when you give, when you say to him, keep the money, he actually keeps the money. If the father is in a situation where he is very, very poor, please get halachic dispensation for this, okay? Because sometimes people think that they're very poor when they only have 100,000 rand in the bank. Then you can give the money on, to the kohen on condition that it may be returned. And you say the following words, I'm giving you this money as a gift for the redemption of my son on condition that you return it to me. But that is not the way that we fulfill it completely. Let's just, again, go through the obligations of of of, of this. And I initially just said it's the father. It's the father's obligation. But there are nuances to this obligation. Firstly, it the, the obligation, as you said, falls on the father and he must do it himself, just like you can't go get somebody else to um, put on tefillin for you. You have to put on tefillin yourself, okay? So that that that, that is number one. The second thing is, the second thing um, that we need to understand is that what happens if the father died? Okay, what happens if the father died or the father is not available? Then who can redeem him? So the halakha is that the paternal grandfather can redeem him because in this respect, a child, a grandchild is like a child. Right, now, what about somebody, and it's so interesting because I'm teaching from the Midrash Me'am Noyes, it was written in the time of Spain when we had the concept of Maranos, of people who were hiding that they were Jews. Okay. okay. Um, and they certainly wouldn't be doing that um, openly. So it says here if a Marano from Portugal or Spain, who is a firstborn, wishes to return to Judaism, he should redeem himself, even though his parents remain Maranos. Okay. So um, that, that is. Um, a a very interesting nuance to the whole thing. So imagine that um, the the parents didn't want to recognize that they were Jews and the guy manages to leave Spain and he now needs, he knows that there was a pigeon, that he needed to have a pigeon. Then he can do it himself. So that's the general rule, right? If a man has not been redeemed by his father for any reason, then the obligation falls upon you, okay? It falls upon you yourself. You have to come of age and you have to redeem yourself. For example, an orphan. Okay? Um, Now, if a man who has not been redeemed as a child has a firstborn son and he only has five shekels, Who does he redeem? He has to redeem himself first because the obligation comes before his own. Here's another scenario. What happens if a woman's first children are born naturally and they were twin boys? How then would one know which child was born first today? This probably wouldn't happen because we're far more... uh, available at the birth, but if it's not known who's born first, the father must give the coin money for one redemption. Because once you redeem one, that's fine. And where, the, where it is not known which twin is the firstborn, and the father dies before they are redeemed, then both together must, be, uh, must give the coin priest five shekels for their redemption. What happens if a firstborn son Um, has been redeemed um, and then dies after he's 30 days old the father must still give the money to the kohen since the obligation already exists so you can see here that there are quite a number of nuances and it's not um, generally straightforward, most times it is um, and thank God today with modern medicine and everything that we control Um, it can be black and white. But there can be times. um, For example, um, and I'll give a a crazy, horrible, not nice example right now, but um, imagine that a woman who just went through October 7th, she was pregnant, it was her first baby. Her husband got killed on October 7th. She has a firstborn son and is the first of her womb. She didn't have previous miscarriages. Um, She obligated in... In, in the Pijona bear not she but the paternal grandfather is obligated um and you still you have to do that so here's an example where um something can't go haywire ifm 101.9 megahertz of life and just a little bit of a tidbit more how does the ceremony work the father brings the child to the priest he carefully investigates the situation to determine the boy is actually the firstborn of his mother. You will the the wife. Have you previously miscarried? Was it delivered by cesarean section? They will determine the 31 days have passed, and then they will the, the 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 father is asked by the client. Would you rather give me your firstborn son who initiated his mother's womb, or would you rather redeem him for five shekels as required by the Torah? And the father will reply, I wish to redeem my son. Here is the money for the redemption as required by the Torah. He makes the blessing, Ashe Kirishanubim Mitzvotah Al Pidion Haben, and Ashe Um, And then they make a blessing on wine. They say, Burapriya Guffin. The coin often smells fragrant spices, recites blessing, Burayim and And then there is an entire blessing. Blessed are you Hashem, the sanctified the embryo in his mother's womb, taught him the Torah, et cetera, et cetera. You're clothed with skin and flesh. You can go have a look at it. And then the client takes the redemption money. He says, this money is in exchange for this child. This money is in place of this child. This money is relinquished for this child. This money is the portion for the client, while this child is the portion. And this, While this child is the portion, that shall have a good life, to fear God, study Torah. And then they say, the bracha "Yibarecha ha Hashem vishmarecha. Famous blessing, and then they finish up with the shalom, your sit lach, may Hashem grant you length of days and years of life and peace. If a father does not want to redeem his firstborn son, believe it or not, the community leaders can actually produce them if necessary. So there you have it. These are all the halachot. Okay. Um, and um This is what it's all about. This is 101.9. Chai FM, thank you for joining me. I'm Edel Kozlowski.